All right, everybody, welcome back to the show. This is Root Solution, learning how to control the basics. This is Kai. And this is Noah. And what the health? <laughs> what the health, he says. <laughs> All right, guys, so we're, we're back. We're talking about health. Uh, as you guys know, we're obsessed with topics, and we just talk about them until you never want to hear them again. See anxiety. Um, <laughs> today, we're going to continue our talk about health. Last week, we gave some framework as far as what health meant to us and why we thought the word health sucked and what better ways to parameter or have conversations about health. That said, what we want to do today is talk about places in the world that are perceptually the healthiest, right? And so the blue zones are areas in the world with the longest life expectancy. And so I think it's pretty safe to say that a good parameter of if you're healthy is how long do you live? And if you've got a life expectancy of close to a hundred, you're probably doing something right. So what are all these places doing and what do they have in common? And, you know, how can we figure out a way to get involved with those things? So um, Kai did all kinds of research and we're going to talk through the things that we have going on here. So Kai, what are the places what are the places that considered blue zones? <clears throat> okay. Um, let me just double check. I'm pretty sure it's bluezones.com that people can go to that. Um, yeah, bluezones.com. Uh, they can go to for all the references for this. But basically, there's five places right now that they've narrowed down. These guys researched and for several years. Um, that then claimed these places to be called blue zones. Uh, blue zones yeah. meaning that they have the most centurions, uh, which is people that live over 100. So the first one is Okinawa, Japan. Woo woo. Um, Sardinia, Italy. Nicoya, Costa Rica. Ikaria, Greece. And Loma Linda, California. What? California. California. So <clears throat> um, it's interesting because uh, one of my friends, he's over in Greece right now, and he was telling me how great the quality of meat is there uh, and yeah. just quality of food. And what's interesting, this is kind of like off topic, but it just is interesting to me. He was telling me that they're not part of Brexit, which means that they can't import um, chickens. It's, a, it's actually illegal for them to import chickens. So everything there is locally grown which is pretty freaking awesome, right? Right. Um, so they're nutrient-dense, whole food. Um, quality, quality of food is ridiculous, right? So, I mean, Greece alone has a, an up on us already, right? Right. I think, I think for me, like, I know we're going to get into these, right? And I don't want to get don't go too crazy just yet because I'm going to go nuts. But I think the, right there, like we just like, I, I almost feel like we could stop there. right? Like we're not going yeah. to, but like <laughs> the food that we eat guys, just most of the food that you've eaten on average is traveling 1200 miles. It's so full of preservatives and garbage. And even if you're eating, by the way, vegetables, right? Sean Baker, who's the founder of the carnivore diet, which I don't, I'm not endorsing by any means, but an argument that he makes as to why the carnivore diet is so valuable in this day and age is that vegetables no longer carry the nutrients that we believe they do. 
right? Now, I don't know. Okay, listen, I can't, like, I'm not a chemist. I can't break down a carrot and tell you what's inside of a carrot and then draw a conclusion of carrots now versus carrots 30 years ago. Like, I don't have the ability to do that. And that's kind of the problem with this conversation with food, right? Is you're taking for food manufacturers word that whatever you're eating is what you're eating, right? Now, if you're a food manufacturer and you're looking to make money, they're going to tell you exactly what you want to hear, right? And so if you look at terms like organic and you look at terms like grass-fed and you look at terms like uh, 100% uh, real or non-fat or all these things, right? They should make us feel like warm and cozy inside. But when you really sit down and you talk to farmers and you look at um, the parameters of those definitions, you find that most of those parameters have been manipulated in a really nasty way. Like grass-fed doesn't mean grass-finished, right? So like when they say grass-fed, that means that at one point, the animal was eating exclusively grass. It does not mean that they've always eaten that. So before the animal died, they could have injected it with all kinds of hormones, given it all the corn in the world. And then guess what? The nutrient profile is not the same. This is going to sound nutty and you're, everyone's going to think I'm crazy and people are to do so whatever, but they've found that animals that are in duress have less nutrient value in their meat than animals that are happy. They found that wild caught animals, they believe that part of the reason the wild caught animals have better nutrient profiles is because they're animals that are living in their space and that they're happier, literally happier. Now, if you think about that in terms of a human being, when we as people are unhappy, we typically have poor hormone profiles. So weird, right? Now, we don't eat human meat, of course, but if you were to, and you were to eat somebody who had diabetes, who had low testosterone, who had, I mean, we can go on for days, their meat would taste literally different. So this idea of like gamey deer, right? You hear that term, like I had bison and it was gamey. It's not gamey, guys. It's healthy. It's the way it's supposed to taste. The thing is, is like literally, there's been companies that have been busted for putting sugar in meats to make it taste different, to make it marbleized different. Guys, the food industry is so corrupt. It's so problematic. And when you look at um, Monsanto and these major food manufacturers, most of the food that they're putting out isn't natural at all. None of it. And so when you look at places like Loma Linda that are these like cool little agricultural towns that are eating, you know, farm raised animals that were literally raised on a farm that are just at a point in their life where they're ready to be eaten. Um, you kind of realize like, oh shit, like, I don't know if we as a culture were meant to be this big and this far spread. Like maybe we were supposed to be a lot more like Loma Linda, which is this really tiny, um, it's, it, I mean, for for lack of better words, it's independent on itself. Like Loma Linda could exist if there were a nuclear holocaust and Loma Linda was left by itself. They have very little of their food is brought in. And so that's something just to consider. Um, We're going to get into food. I got on a tangent there. That's my bad. I do that often. Um, But I just thought that was, that's something that really stood out to me right away um, when hearing what you said about food. Yeah. 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 to connect connect that um connect those things uh about the animals being free and um them 
being more nutrient dense and all that kind of stuff. We're going to go to the power nine. Uh, the power nine is basically the nine things that these researchers have done that across the board, these five places all have in common. Um, so <clears throat> number one is move naturally, right? Move naturally, which basically means walk, right? <laughs> pretty, pretty much. I was just like, what does that mean, guy? <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's walking, right? Um, and, and so just to kind of like connect what you're talking about with the animals, it's like animals don't really move naturally if they're in an enclosed space, right? And we see all those, um, you know, uh, animal cruelty videos and all that, all these chickens are cramped together. The pigs are all in the same pen and don't have anywhere to move. Um, it's kind of the same with us, right? Like if we're right caged in an office in a cubicle i love and, that you went there. <laughs> and we don't move the way that we're supposed to like walking everywhere we take the bus we drive everywhere um you know all these things that make it quote-unquote easier for us actually could be detrimental right and and i think that um you know even uh, what I, what i think about when i hear move naturally is dancing, but that's, yeah. I mean, that's not for everybody, but for me, at least I know I love dancing and that's how I express my movement, uh, most of the time. And so if you see me on the four or five, which I'm on all the time, you will see me dancing in my car all day long. Um, but for you, what do you, what do you feel like is moving naturally besides walking? Okay. So first of all, before I get into that, I want to take a step back. So, Kai, are you saying that we as people are living lives much like cows who are fighting for their freedom, yet we aren't fighting for our own? Well, when you put it that way. <laughs> but it's true, right? Like yeah. the, the reality of it, guys, is that we, these cows are stuck in pens and they live their lives in these dumb bullshit pens. And we're mad about it. We're really upset about it. We watch Netflix specials about it and we're pissed. But nobody seems to be upset about this idea of like, you're going to spend 50 hours a week in an isolated space, moving very, very little with these lights on top of you, these LED lights that are horrible, and you have to ask for breaks. This is what most people's lives look like. It's crazy. crazy. Okay, back to move naturally. Uh, I love dancing. I actually weirdly actually like to dance myself. I'm not great at it, but I enjoy it. Um, you know, for me, manual labor is moving naturally. Now, granted, I do that in a gym, which, you know, you could argue isn't manual labor, but I don't live on a farm, unfortunately. Sometimes I wish I did. Actually, often I wish I did. Um, but the idea of like being outside and swinging a kettlebell or throwing a medicine ball or carrying a sandbag, um, walking with a sled, um, I actually enjoy that stuff. Like, I actually really do believe that I would be happy as a farmer. Like I'd be happy picking up hay barrels. And um, again, people that know me directly know my love of animals is borders on weird sometimes. And like the idea of being able to go like pet a cow and like a pig and like have farm dogs and things like that. Like I actually kind of sneaky love that. Um, and I don't know if that's because that's my ancestral roots there or what, but that's what move naturally to me means is like sun on my back, like houses on my hands um, just moving shit 
function over know. fashion, huh? Just old fashioned, man. What's number two, Kai? <sighs> number two is purpose. And the way that they define purpose is why you wake up in the morning. Uh, and they've done a bunch of studies and <clears throat> I honestly have no idea how they came up with this, but it says knowing your sense of purpose is worth up to seven years of extra life expectancy. Seven more years. Right. Now, how they predict that, I have no idea. But knowing your purpose, right? We hear it all the time. You got to know your purpose. You got to know why. You got to know why. You got to know why. Um, and so with these places, they understand their purpose. And it could be different, right? It's different for everybody, I think. Because if you are like most of these people, um, they all cook for themselves, right? Or they cook for the family, all that kind of stuff. So for, for instance, like Sardinia, right? Mm. In Italy, most Italian, and, and I'm not trying to be sexist or anything like that. This is based on observation. Most Italian grandmas cook for the family, Right. Right. So like their purpose is to feed the family. And so she wakes up every morning knowing that she has purpose. She, she wakes up every morning because she can feed her family and she wants to feed her family like that. That is whatever Nona that is. That's right. her purpose. Right. And it's different for everybody else. And I think that because this is number two on the list, it's pretty important. Right. Um, to, to figure out why you want to wake up every morning. And we can argue to say that 90% of people, especially in just in California, probably don't have a sense of what their purpose is. Yeah. I, I think your, your perception in California is interesting. I would, I would argue greater worldwide, but I well, think yeah. if you ask people what they believe their purpose would be if they had the opportunity to have purpose, I don't know if people will know the answer to that question. And I think maybe some of that is exposure. Maybe some of that is just um, they've never really thought about it. Um, it's a weird, it's a weird thing, right? Like mm -hmm. social parameters have made purpose a really weird thing like instagram and things like that because like um someone close to me is like close in terms of even my family she's a stay-at-home mother and she freaking loves it and she smashes being a stay-at-home mom mm -hmm. smashes it like she's so good at it um she's incredible with her children she's in incredible at all of it she's great and she loves it but she gets down on herself about it and like really struggles with being a stay-at-home mom and I would argue that I think when you look at Instagram, mm -hmm. like there's not a, like, it's not sexy to be a stay-at-home mom, right? Like it, mm -hmm. there's, it's a really like, it's a job that nobody talks about and yeah. how important it is, but it, for her, it's purpose-driven and, and she loves it. And I think this for me is the struggle with purpose is the world we've created has muted our ability to really find purpose. I didn't find purpose until I was freaking 35. And that's when I, that's, I had already been done with school for a second time around. I'd already wasted all kinds of time doing all kinds of weird shit in life. And I found purpose only on accident as a pure accident. Um, 
as a parent, I hope to change that for my kids. But the unfortunate reality of the world we live in is I think these places that you're talking about, they're kind of remote. Yeah. Right. Like I, I'll be honest, folks, I was supposed to read off the names of the, these places <laughs> and I don't even know where half these places are to look them up. Right. Yeah. And so when you look at like Nicoya, Costa Rica, like that's a really remote place. It's isolated from all of the bullshit. Right. Yeah. And Most so of them are islands. Right. And so these people are, have the ability to find purpose really easily because they find purpose in function. Like what's your role in this tribe? Right. Mm-hmm. And this is my argument that I've been making for a long time is that we weren't built to live the way we live. We were built to be in small tribes. Right. But this isn't how we can't control people that way. I can get really like conspiracy theories there. And I'm not going to, because this podcast will go five hours. But <laughs> when you think about the idea of like an isolated population on a tribe you know, of a tribe, like you can find value and joy in being anyone in a tribe. Right. Yeah. And so I think that makes purpose really easy. The world we live in purpose is hard to come by. That's my opinion on purpose. Yeah, I would agree. I think that um, social pressures make it really, really hard because people push their purpose onto other people. Um, I've, I've been consuming a lot of um, Gary V's content right. as of late. And he, he said the same thing. It's like, um, you know, being a stay at home dad, right. That's another one that's not right. like looked down upon. Right. Someone could be ecstatic and love being a stay at home dad. Right. And, and one of my friends from Colorado, we talked about this and he was like, if I had a, a choice, I would, could be a stay at home dad in a second and a heartbeat. Right. Um, and take pride in it. Right. But social pressure, social, uh, norms, right. Say, no, you need to be the man. You need to go work and you need to provide for your family. You need to do this. When in actuality, who, who made that a thing? Right. And we take right. it back to the freaking industrial revolution, right? Like the man goes to work, provides food for the table, for the family, all that kind of stuff. But we live in a society now that has adapted and evolved to where we can have stay at home dads. We can have full-time parents, right? Right. If they, you know, whatever they do to make money or whatever, but there's, there's, there's an, uh, an unlimited, um, opportunity for people to do what they want to do especially here in california right um and so i think that 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 this is a very tough question for people but i think it's well worth diving into because once you do find your purpose it makes doing the things that you need to do that much easier, right? Like, wouldn't you say like having to wake up early to treat a client or to wake up and go play with your daughters or whatever it is, you're not like, oh man, I got to go do this again. You're like, yeah, let's go do it, right? I tell people that all the time. I'm like, if you had to wake up to go to Disneyland, how easy is that? It's real freaking easy to wake up to go to Disneyland. It's real easy to wake up for my weekends, right? When I have something cool going on that I want to do. It's real easy to wake up and get on a plane or red eye to go to Hawaii, right? Like those things become really, really simple when I want to wake up. Uh, I have a patient at 7 a.m. tomorrow who I really care and value 
big time. I do not like 7 a.m. Uh, I would strongly prefer not waking up at 7 a.m. But um, I'm going to wake up at 7 a.m. because I care about this person and I want to be there to support them in their journey. Um, and waking up at 7 will be very... Well, I don't wake up at 7, but you know, being there ready at 7 to work uh, will be pretty easy. Yeah. Like I can do that because I care about this person. So um, go to number three, Kai. Excuse me. Okay. Uh, number three is downshift uh, routines to shed stress or in our scientific words, down regulation. So it says, um, excuse me, drinking all this mineral water. It's making me poop. <laughs> Um, it says that the Okinawans take a few moments <clears throat> and remember their ancestors. So they take time out of their day so that they can remember their ancestors. Um, I can't remember where this is from, but Advent Adventists, I think this is from Greece. Um, uh -huh. no, 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 sorry, not Greece. Uh, Nicoya, Costa Rica, they pray. Right, that's right. the form of downshifting. Icarians from Icaria, Greece, take a nap. Right, and then Sardinians from Sardinia, Italy, do happy hour. Right. So these are all the different things that they do to shed stress. Which our last podcast we talked about that downregulation is super important. Uh, going for a walk with a friend, um, or just walking by yourself listening to good music, uh, Disney December, like you said, a light show at night if you want, um, having some tea, um, you know, all these things that are really, really good for, for downregulation. Do you want to add anything to that? No? I mean, I think we've talked um, at a pretty good length on ways to downregulate. I mean, if you just listen to pick a podcast, we'll talk about yeah. it. Um, I, yeah, like we, I, I think uh, it's funny because I, I wasn't aware of these. Like I didn't know what these were until Kai brought these to my attention like an hour ago. Um, but it's a, the, the irony of how much we've talked about these things already. Um, one makes me feel good that we're on the right track. And two, um, vindicates a lot of the things that like i believe to be true so it's cool yeah all right so the next three uh so that was the first three the next three out of nine uh we're gonna lump together a little bit because they all kind of deal with the same uh overarching theme which is nutrition um so 80 percent rule which is a little bit different from the 80 percent rule that noah talks about um is basically eating stop eating when you're 80 percent full um, people in the blue zones eat their smallest meal in the late afternoon or early evening, and they don't eat anything else for the rest of the day. Um, and then plant slant, they call it plant slant, um, basically that they include beans, um, like fava beans, black beans, soybeans, lentils. Um, that's a cornerstone of their diets. And they eat mostly pork, um, but it's only eaten around five times per month, which is super low and their serving sizes are only three to four ounces yeah it's small which is the size of a deck of cards which is right. tiny uh and then the last one is wine at five so people in blue zones drink alcohol moderately and regularly 
Uh, the trick is to drink one to two glasses per day with friends. This is very key, which I know Noah's going to go off on with friends and or with food. Um, and no, I repeat, no, you cannot save all of those drinks and have them and have 14 drinks on a Saturday. <laughs> that is what they said, not me. <laughs> so this like my like my my ADHD is going crazy, right? So um, <laughs> the first and foremost, right? The 80% rule. Uh, I just love that. I think that's, a, that's great and that's easy. Um, one of the things that they said there that, that really stands out to me, they eat um, small meals in the late afternoon and early evening. They don't eat after or for the rest of the day. It's funny because recently there's a lot of information coming out about intermittent fasting and how we're doing intermittent fasting wrong. Everyone says it's the ancestral diet, but what we're realizing is that ancestrally they ate early and didn't eat late. And so everybody does this the diet, the opposite, right? And the reason they're doing that is because what they're really doing is they're fasting while they sleep. So they're like 16, eight, I won't eat for eight hours, but I'm asleep. The reality is, is that's not how the diet's supposed to work. Um, so what we're finding is that that's actually really problematic to, to, to eat that way. What they're actually finding is that when you wake up, you should eat right away. And you should actually use breakfast as an opportunity to build energy for the rest of the day. The idea is that if I eat my energy early, I've used it all and I don't have to put more energy back in my system late because the sleep helps me recover. So they, you're utilizing sleep as a recovery aid. The other benefit to eating early versus eating late is that going back to Kai's point about sleeping, digestion becomes easier because there's nothing to digest, right? And so you're more likely to be able to just fall asleep without your internal organs having to function. So that's interesting. The second portion of this, this plant slant, I love this idea. Um, I would argue that like, I'd like to see more meat in diets, but that's for other reasons. And I also believe humans should be bigger and stronger. And most people in these places are smaller in stature. Uh, one of the things that isn't talked about here is on average, these people are smaller than average humans. Um, I like sports. And so I want to be big and strong. Um, and so that is what it is. But the reality here is this from a general health. I agree with this. Um, it's interesting that two things stand out to me. One is that they're able to eat a lot of lentils. Ironically, most diets you listen to or listen to people talk about, talk about not eating lentils. And so what stands out to me is these places, again, are islands that grow their own food and that lentils aren't over-processed garbage. They're in fact, normal food, right? And so what we find is that a lot of the lentils that have been genetically modified our bodies have a hard time digesting whether rather the lentils that they're eating are not as problematic. Um, the idea of eating mostly pork is also interesting because that's considered the dirtiest meat, right? So what most people would say in America and, and um, I guess I can speak to America is most people think pork is the biggest problem, right? Cause it's fatty and it's gross. Um, ironically, they suggest eating lots of pork, which maybe goes to show that what we think we know about cholesterol might not be true. Um, not that I've said that once or twice. And then lastly, the wine. Um, this idea of having a couple glasses of wine um, with friends and a positive social interaction, which helps you down regularly. What? Uh, a lot, and eating moderately while drinking means that one, 
um, maybe I'll get a little bit of a buzz, which I wouldn't have normally gotten, right? Because part of the reason we have to overconsume alcohol is that we usually are having copious amounts of alcohol because we like it or because we're having it with food and it's, not, it's digesting slowly. So we need more to feel kind of drunk. Uh, anyone who's drank on an empty stomach knows that like, Ooh, I got a little head buzz. Right. So that stands out to me. And then also the idea of doing it with friends is interesting because I think it just makes social interactions better. You know? Yeah. Kai, what are your thoughts on those things? Um, yeah, I think it, it, it definitely has to do with, location right i think that you know the first one eating 80 percent we anyone can do but with the the quality of food um and the proportions of it is going to be a little bit different for us here right i mean we're not going to go up into uh loma linda every day and go go eat but um you know i think it's a good starting point right a good talking point for people to start thinking about um, what are they eating every day? And is it consumed with this, this kind of, uh, parameters, right? And, you know, with drinking, um, there's all sorts of different, um, viewpoints on all that, right? I saw Dr. Um, Amen, um, that both of us follow, talk about how horrible alcohol is for the brain, but, He's from a standpoint of mental health, mental health, right? He's talking about mental health. Sorry to cut you off, but he's talking about mental health. He's also talking about people that are doing it in large, large doses, right? Yeah, which the the reason why, I mean, this is getting a little too deep, but the reason why people drink a lot of times is to escape emotions, right? Or to Mm -hmm. escape something. But I believe these people have a drink because they're having a good time, right? They're with friends, they're enjoying it. They have good food. They just, that's what they do is they just have a glass of wine with it. So they're not escaping anything. So they don't need more than one or two glasses. Right. And it's about moderation and not going over and over consuming, right? Like we talked about um, excess and all that kind of stuff. Um, Cause some people will take this and be like, Oh, I'm going to save all my 14 drinks and they drink it on Saturday. Right. <laughs> um, which is not good. Right. Um, but yeah, let's, um, let's go and finish this up with the last three. Uh, really quickly here. Um, going back to something we were talking about last week about consistency, what you'll find here with these conversations so far, guys, is this is a consistent lifestyle, right? Yeah. Like these are things that they do every day. This isn't something they do on Sunday, right? Mm-hmm. Like this is a perception of how they live their lives, not like how they live a Sunday or a Saturday or a Monday through Thursday, right? So yeah. the thing that really stands out to me here is going back to this idea that health is a stupid word and that <laughs> consistency is far more beneficial here because yeah. this is a consistent profile of how to live your life. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so last three. first one is belong and it says all but five of the 263 centenarians they interviewed belong to a faith-based community and the denomination doesn't matter right meaning doesn't matter if you're christian you're catholic whatever it is 
Um, and then research shows that attending faith-based service services four times per month will add four to 14 years of life expense expectancy. Again, I have no idea how they measure that, but that's pretty cool. Uh, the, uh, the eighth one <clears throat> is loved ones first, meaning that they keep their uh, aging parents and grandparents nearby or in the home. Um, it lowers disease mortality rates of children in the home. Um, and they commit to a life partner and invest in their children with time and love, right? Um, coming from an Asian background, this is very common to have grandparents live with you. Um, yeah. So they have that as, as you grow up. Um, the right tribe is the last one. Um, the world's longest lived people chose or were born into social circles that supported healthy behaviors, um, the Okinawans created, uh, I have no idea how to pronounce this, but it's M-O-I-S, Moais, uh, groups of five friends that committed to each other for life. Um, research from the Framingham studies show that smoking, obesity, happiness, and even loneliness are contagious. So the social networks of long-lived people have favor favorably shaped their health behaviors. Uh, and I think we've heard this from, you know, motivational speakers, all that kind of stuff. Um, you are the five people that you are around all the time. Right. Does right? it, that's your circle of influence. So having the right tribe will definitely help. If you're around five people that drink every weekend, that is going to be your life. Right. right. Um, yeah. What are your thoughts? Okay. So a couple things stand out to me. Um, one, when we start talking about this idea of religion, I think, I don't know if I need religion as much as I do need um, a belonging to a group of people that share like-minded beliefs. Um, I also wonder about what the science is of people um, that are religious and if they are maybe less stressed out because they don't have to worry about um, the afterlife, like they don't fear death, maybe. Um, I don't know that to be true. I don't even know how you would begin to research that. The only thing that really stands out to me there is is a being around a group of people that are like-minded, that is in a positive environment um, where you can celebrate something together seems valuable. Um, you know, I'm not saying that the Dodgers and, and Christianity are the same thing, but um, <laughs> if I were to go to a Dodger game and spend time around people that enjoy the Dodgers like I do, that's a really positive interaction for me to be able to branch out to strangers and talk and have conversation and feel good about an interaction. And regardless of what they believe in terms of their life or who they are as people, we didn't talk about those things. We talked about how Vin Scully positively impacted our life in, you know, in an entertaining perceptual um, environment. Um, loved ones first, I think is like, so like such an easy one, right? Like. Like, I think taking care of the people that they're in your tribe and loving them. I have a different perception of tribe based on my past traumas and history. But I do think that idea of like committing to people and loving people is important. And I think eight and nine are basically the same thing, right? Like yeah. The reality is, is like, you know, loving the people that are close to you, that you care about, that are valuable to you. Um, and just loving them well and, and being there and having purpose in their lives. We talked about the podcast, People Needing People. I mean, this speaks to that in, 
in tenfolds, right? The ability that people can help people heal and having a closeness tribe with people that you can have conversation with and, and, you know, find value and appropriation with all those things are really valuable to me. So, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. What about you? Is anything stand out? Um, yeah, I think that, um, like to your point of like church or going to a baseball game, I think what brings people together like that in such a way is the non-judgment, right? I think that's a pretty big key in any of that because like I've been to so many different churches and like, uh, like I don't belong to any church. I'm not a, a labeled as any of that, but I've been yeah. to them because I was curious and I'm open to, to understanding. Um, but in a lot of them that I went to, no one judged me for not um, being Christian. They didn't even ask me if I was, Right, and I'm, I was there because I was wanted to learn, but they didn't know. But there's a non-judgmental um, aspect about it, right? Like you go to a Dodger game, you're wearing a Dodger jersey, people are going to talk to you that are Dodger fans, like you're a Dodger fan, even if you're. Right. <clears throat> and so having that non-judgment makes you feel like you belong, right? Um, and you don't feel, you know, shameful about you know, wearing that jersey or um, that they're playing the wrong team, whatever it is, right? Um, but I think that that's a, an important factor in when you're looking for things of that nature, right? Um, you know, whether that be faith-based, whether that be sport-based, whether that be whatever it is, right? Um, if you're a flat earther, if you're a round earther, whatever it is, um, just have a community that doesn't judge you um, because I think that holds a lot of healing for a lot of people. Um, and yeah, live loved ones first. Like my grandma lives with us for since I was born pretty much. Right. Um, and so, you know, being able to grow up with her and, and have time with her, she was my only grandparent. So right. that was like very special for me. And, you know, my mom always says like just whenever I get old just put me in a home and I'm like that's not gonna happen that's not what she wants but you know it it's it's such a sometimes it can be an inconvenience right but I right. think that that's just what you do right and that's embedded in the culture of of you know for us it's, it's Japanese culture but and a lot of Asian cultures and, you know, Hispanic cultures and, and, you know, it just depends on, and the up, upbringing that you have, but just to like logically think like if my parents are getting old and they don't want to go to home, like, yeah, come live with us. Like it's like almost like a no brainer, but it, it could be kind of looked down upon, right? Like right. the, the um, inconvenience of, having to take care of another set or one person? Um, well, I, I, I also think that like, there's this like disconnect in our culture where I think it's so hard to take care of yourself that you don't have the bandwidth to take care of others. Mm -hmm. and I, yeah. I wonder, again, when you look back at places like that, 
the places, these islands, right? Their lives are far simpler. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like it's not as difficult to live in those places. They don't, they don't work for Lone Depot, a mortgage conglomerate that is demanding 60 hours a week that withdraw you from your family. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Ironically, you probably don't see a lot of wealth in these areas either. You don't see people who are driven by Porsches and large homes. You see people that are happy and content with living a human lifestyle. Right. Yeah. So my friend that's in Greece, he was telling me the um, minimum wage in Greece is $8,000 a year. Okay. It doesn't sound like a lot of money. It's, I mean, that's not right. So you're right. Like those places are not like driving in freaking BMWs, Mercedes. They're walking everywhere. They're riding scooters. They're, I mean, and everything is so close, right? So they don't need any of that. And so they're- When they're growing their own food, right? Yeah. So they're not, you know, spending a bunch of money on importing, exporting. They're, right. you know, there's the, the lifestyle definitely is a lot slower. Um, but I, I'm, I mean, I think that's a, a good thing. Right. But, you know, when you grow up here, it's like, you know, you need, you need more, you want more, you strive for more. Everything is more, more, more. And this is, I think this is the struggle with when I, when I have these conversations with people about health, I don't, and I've said this here, right. In this podcast. I don't think people realize how far removed they are from what it is to be human. The people that are literally living the longest in the world are living the most tribal and human lifestyle they possibly can. Like that's, people don't see that as a, as a coincidence. <laughs> that doesn't seem weird that like people that have a simpler lifestyle literally live longer. I don't know. I mean, we just have to look at data for what it is, but this data is pretty compelling, right? Like it's, it's pretty daunting when you see that like the people that live the longest live like this. And I don't know if it's really reasonable for us to say that we can manipulate our lives in that way. Right. Like, I don't think it'd be really easy for people to grow their own food. You know, I don't think they have the time, the resources, or the know-how. I also don't even know if we could get quality seed, to be really honest with you, right? Like, so my struggle with reading stuff like that is like, I, you know, a lot of people, when they listen to my podcast about us not being human, they were like, man, that was like a dark podcast. <laughs> I don't see it that way. What I hope to do is find that this information can become empowering in a way to help you add these things to your life. So what I hope people hear in this podcast from us is that sure, I can't adapt my whole life and maybe I won't live to be a hundred, but can I increase my life expectancy by taking some of these principles and making them a regular piece of my life? Can I find a consistent pattern of quality living that has me happier and healthier? And so that's my goal when people listen to this podcast, you know, and I know Kai from conversations we had, that's why you brought this to the table and why this was your idea to, to talk about this in our podcast. 
Yeah, it's, I think it's twofold. I think it's it's one to bring awareness to all these things that are beneficial for people, but two, to it's almost like um, to play off of growing your own food to plant a seed in people's minds that then can grow and fertilize and and really have them think about their lives in a different way right because they could be stuck in the nine to five grind uh i work i work clock in clock out and then i'm home and i'm miserable i gotta do the same thing again tomorrow but you know with the land of opportunity there are plenty of opportunities for them to change that and and not even like in a drastic way right um down regulating one one simple thing and and two two bird two two birds one stone walk ten thousand steps and down regulate (laughs) at the same time right like um if someone like i mean there's what else what other proof do you need than that lady that walked started walking 15,000 steps and lost 26 pounds when she couldn't do that before like the proof is in the pudding right Um, right and, and it's not to say that it's going to work for everybody. Not everyone's going to lose 26 pounds in the first month of doing that. Kyle, but it's Kyle, about, what's up? It, it will work for everybody. Like, let's not, <laughs> like, let's be clear here, guys. Like, let's be really clear. If you up your output and you reduce or clean up your diet, you will lose weight. You will be healthier in terms of biometrics, mm-hmm. like let's, I, I don't, like, I, I know you're prefacing the depends crowd by saying that, but I know you don't believe that. I know, you know, and I know from well, conversations I, we've had, I'm just saying you're not going to lose exactly 26. Oh, pounds. sure. Okay. Yeah. All right. That'll buy. Yeah. Okay. But nobody's life is worse no. by walking more and mm-hmm. eating cleaner. Yeah. Nobody. nobody, nobody in the history of time mm-hmm. will be worse off. And walking again is something we all can freaking do. I'll tell you guys something, right? I'm a big dude, very big guy. At the reggae festival I went to, then the first day was 10 hours of music, of standing, dancing, swaying. Um, I gave myself shin splints the first day. I'm a PT. I know how to fix them. So I was in the hotel doing like prep work for him. But I literally gave myself shin splints. It was a 20,000 step day. I'm not suggesting you go from being sedentary to walking 20,000 steps. It's not what I'm saying. I never said that. What I want clear out here is that we have to find ways to moderate and mitigate risk in our life by adding quality volume and adding and reducing our poor food habits. A lot of people will hear me and say, whole 30, I'm going to eat three salads a day and pork once a month. Noah said so. That is not what we said, guys. You have to understand. We have to build our way into these changes. A lot of people have been calorie deficits for a long time, and that's actually messing them up. There's literally something out there you can Google. It's a diet called calorie refeed. It's teaching your body how to eat more food without getting sick. It's a problem, you guys. Like We are bordering on... um, Oh... Like what, like what's a uh, food, like what for someone who's anorexic, they're what they have a food. 
Okay, help me. Problem. Like if somebody if if somebody if somebody has issues with food, we would call it what? Like dietary, like an unhealthy relationship with food. We'll leave it there for the sake of conversation. Sure. But there's yeah. a word there that somebody will like Instagram out to me. I'm sure. Um, but a really unhealthy unhealthy behavior in regarding food, right? Um, yeah. I worked with a young lady in a powerlifting community who gave herself literally a food disorder. There it is. Um, she gave herself a food disorder because she was cutting weight for meats and it became so problematic that she started, she became bulimic. Mm. Like it, it's not uncommon in the fitness world to find somebody who has abs. that's also bulimic. Try, I've worked with a lot of these people. The fitness world isn't what you think they are guys. Like people are on steroids. They're on cutting agents. They're on diuretics. They're throwing up. This isn't the way it is. This isn't healthy consistently living your best life is find that consistency. All right. That's, that's all I got. Kai. Yeah. I think that's a, a good way to end the show. So thank you guys for listening. We may or may not have another health podcast. Who knows? Um, <laughs> but I am Kai at control the basics. Where are you at? I'm Noah. <laughs> Sorry. I'm <laughs> Noah at root.solution. And we will see you on the flippity flap. That was a clean ending.